Kevin, if you'll just keep playing as these guys join the congregation. Thank you, sir. turn your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to go there in just a few moments. And if you're taking notes, we will come back to that verse that we just read that they just sang about from Matthew chapter 9. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to be there in just, just a moment. Thank you, sir. Well, this morning we continue our first message series of the year called Purpose. We've been looking for the last two weeks at Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus in Matthew 6, said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In the first week, we talked about how when we look at the first line of defense for us as believers, that first line of defense is prayer and fasting. And as of today, we are on day 14 of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Last week, we looked at this word first look and talked about how that giving Jesus the first look in our lives means that we give him the first look of our decisions and our finances and our worries. And today's first word is first love. And we're going to talk about how returning to our first love empowers us to live a lifestyle where we can live for his kingdom and his righteousness. Does anybody here remember your first love? Maybe think back, you may think of like middle school or elementary school and that person that you saw on the playground or in the lunchroom that kind of uh, got your attention and that probably was more like puppy love, we would call it. But how many of you can think about that first genuine experience you had with love? The first person that you met that you knew you couldn't live without. That person you thought they might be the one. How many of you are sitting next to your first love this morning? Well, I hope both hands went up or we're in trouble. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you agree that there are certain feelings and emotions that accompany first love? Right? Sweaty palms and your heart skips a beat the first, maybe when you see them and haven't seen them for a while. You always want to be with them. You, you don't want to be apart. You daydream what life would be like to spend your rest of your life with them. And, and at the end of the night when you have to say goodbye, you don't want to say goodbye. Those are the feelings of first love. And those feelings often lead to marriage. Which leads to never being apart. Which leads to two worlds colliding. Which leads to jobs and responsibilities and kids and a mortgage and how many minivans for us now? Three. That's what first love leads to. And sometimes you can go through the rhythm of life and you can look up and one day first love is gone. You've gone from the foreigner song. 
feels like the first time. Probably the first time we've ever sung that in here. To the righteous brothers, you've lost that love and feeling. Anybody ever been there? With those two extremes that you can go through. But it happens. It's a part of life. And it's a part of married life. But couples who go the distance and have successful marriages learn something. And that's this. Love isn't a feeling. It's a choice. I guess nobody here has learned that yet. I thought I'd get a couple of amens right there. Somebody's like, okay, well, all right, well, that, that's a game changer. That changes everything. Love isn't a feeling. It is a choice. You choose to love that person. You choose to care for them even when you don't feel like it. You choose to be faithful when you don't feel like it. You choose to serve them even when they're getting on your nerves. You choose to love them even when you don't feel like it. I believe that many aspects of our relationship with God are found in our relationships with people here on earth. I believe we can find that truth in Genesis 1.27 very early in the first chapter of the Bible where the writer says God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God He created them, male and female He created them. So whether it be a mother or a brother or a father or a sister or a neighbor, or a friend, or a spouse, we can find elements in each of those relationships that reflect how we can connect with God. And just like there are first love emotions that affect how we connect with somebody of the opposite sex, the same, true, the same is true in our relationship with God. When we first come into a relationship with Jesus... It is when we learn about His love and His grace and we learn about the story of the cross and His sacrifice and we learn about the resurrection that there is something on the inside that connects with us. That first love kind of feeling. We want to go to church. We don't miss a single week. We want to be a part of a small group. Because we realize the value of sitting around with a group of people who are sharing the Word of God. We want to read our Bible and pray and listen to worship music and maybe even fast because we embrace anything that is going to draw us closer to Him. We want to serve whenever and however using our gifts and talents for His glory because we realize they're not mine in the first place. They, he gave me those gifts and talents and abilities to give back to Him and serve others. But just like there are times in our marriages when we don't feel the love or the passion for our spouse like we used to, the same thing happens in our relationship with Jesus. It's not that we don't love Him anymore. It's just that we've lost that loving feeling. And when it comes to our theme verse for this series, Seek First His Kingdom and His Righteousness, it becomes more of a challenge for us to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness when, listen, so many other things become a priority which leads us to losing our first love that we started off with. Jesus knew this would be the case. He knew this would happen to us. 
He spent years of his life on earth around human beings. And I believe that's why he gives us this word in Revelation chapter 2 when he speaks to the church at Ephesus. And there's a church, much like ours, a, a place of worship, a body of believers. And, and Jesus is kind of doing a church consultant thing with them. And he speaks to his friend John at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And he says these words in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. He says, tell this to the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. I know that you've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. You have persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. You've not grown weary yet. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. Now notice what Jesus said to this church, okay? He starts off commending them for their hard work, their perseverance, their discernment. They don't allow false prophets around. He applauds them for the way that they persevered and endured hardships. But in verse 4 he says, I have one thing against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken your first love. You're busy. You're doing good things. You persevere. You don't put up with false teachings. I'm glad you're doing all that, but you have forsaken your first love. And I believe today that this message is not just for a church nearly 2,000 years ago in Ephesus. I think this is a message to the church in America. I believe this is a message to the church of God in Rankin, Georgia, that it could be in many of our lives that we have lost our first love for Him. So how do you return to your first love? There's three things I want to share with you this morning that we see. Two from this passage and one from another that talk to us about how we can return to our first love. Number one, we've got to recognize our current condition. Recognize your current condition. In verse 5, Jesus says, Consider how far you've fallen. When you hear the word fallen, you get a visual in your mind, right? And so he's saying, consider that at one point your love was way up here for me, but it's fallen and it's, the bottom's fallen out. And it's not where it used to be. A few moments ago I talked about how this happens in marriages. And we said that healthy marriages know that if you're going to go the distance, that love is a choice, not a feeling. But there are times in your marriage that you still need to feel Love still needs to be active, right? Love still needs to be a part of your marriage. It still needs to be expressed. There are times in our marriage when I can tell that, that, the, that the love tank is getting low. I recognize we're not as close as we used to be. We feel disconnected. And usually that's because we're busy and we're distracted and we're tired, which leads to being impatient. And which leads to those times when we love each other even when we don't feel like it. 
Now, all of y'all sanctimonious people are looking at me like, well, we don't ever have that problem, brother. Oh, I know you do. Because you're flesh and blood. We all have those situations. But if I want to regain the first love feelings that I have for her, if I want to drive down the road with her and sing foreigner, it feels like the first time, then I've got to recognize, first of all, that the tank's low, right? I just can't walk around like bird box with something over my eyes and not even see that it's there. Because here's the thing, once you recognize, then you can do something about it. And the same principle works in that first love with Jesus. Jesus says, consider how far you've fallen. What he's saying is recognize that things between me and you aren't the way that they used to be. So I want to ask you a question. How is your relationship with Jesus right now? Don't think about your spouse or the person that you're glad they're here because they need to hear this. Or somebody you hope's watching online or a friend or whatever. How is your relationship with Jesus right now? And ask yourself a couple of questions. Was there a time when your worship was more meaningful? Was there a time when your prayer life was stronger? Was there a time when you had a greater desire to be in the Word? Was there a time when you volunteered instead of being voluntold to serve in ministry? Was there a time in your past where you just felt closer to Him? If you don't feel as close as you used to, somebody moved. And guess who it wasn't? It wasn't God. And maybe the reason why maybe you struggle in this series to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness is because you're not as close with Him as you used to be. Claiming your first love is to consider how things have changed, how they've gone from here to here. And if you're going to return to your first love, you've got to recognize your condition and that things aren't the way they used to be and be honest and admit where you're at. Don't nod your head, don't raise your hand, but in your spirit... Would anybody in your spirit say, yes, that's me. I don't have the same first love that I had for Jesus at another point in my life. Here's the second thing you must do. Second thing is you must repent, then repeat first priorities. In verse 5, Jesus says, after he talks about uh, recognizing it, he says these words, repent and do the things you did at first. Now, let's go back to our marriage example. This is not a, 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 preach, this is not a sermon on marriage, but I'm going to give you some good tips. They're free, okay? All right? You got, you got Valentine's Day coming up. Stoke, I'm going to help you stoke the fire a little bit this morning, okay? If you want to restore that first love in your marriage, sometimes you need to repent to your spouse. There ain't no nodding heads or amens on that, but it's the truth. There's times we need to say, I'm sorry. There's times we need to ask for forgiveness. There's times we need to say, honey, I've gotten too busy. I've not valued you the way I should. I'm sorry for anything I've done at this point. I'm sorry for neglecting our marriage and not making it a priority. It's important that you learn to forgive. A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. If you're new to marriage or just figuring this out, that's some good advice. You got to learn how to say I'm sorry and move on. Get over it. Most of the stuff ain't worth it. 
two good forgivers. The same is true in our relationship with Jesus. There are times that we need to repent. And I'm sure for a lot of us, hopefully, repentance is a part of our daily prayer. We, we practice what the Lord's Prayer says when He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. And, but maybe we should consider that our prayers of repentance need to go to a deeper place. Not just asking for forgiveness of those things to make sure the slate's clean and if I die in my sleep or Jesus comes back tomorrow, I'll go. Sometimes we give that token, Lord, forgive me of everything, I want a clean slate. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We, we pray those kind of prayers. But should we maybe consider that maybe we need to repent, that maybe we're too busy Maybe we're just working too hard for God. And maybe that's why we've lost our first love. Because maybe we're getting off track and we're just like the church in Ephesus was. We're working too hard and we've lost the disconnect. We're disconnected from the source that should fuel everything that we do. Sometimes we need to repent of spiritual apathy and laziness spiritually and carelessness and being lukewarm. Maybe we need to repent for putting other things before God. And sometimes we can put good things before God. We can put our family before God. We can put our work, our education, our vacations. Am I saying take a vacation? No. Not take a vacation? Of course not. You know, I, I, that's not the way I feel. But there are times when we put things before God. And sometimes good things reach a place where they're in they're more important than God things. God things should be first. Amen? And sometimes we need to repent of those things. But notice something. Jesus says this. Listen, He says, if this is something we need to repent of, then guess what? He sees it as sin. Put that on the screen. The next slide, please. Spiritual indifference is sinful. And many times we want to, we want to think about all the, the big worldly sins that we're not doing and, and feel okay. But right here, Jesus is saying there's some repentance that needs to take place. And it's because you've lost your first love. And I think sometimes we, we need to do that and we need to repent because we... That maybe those of us who are in the church and we're working hard and we're saying, well, I'm doing all these things for God. But maybe we're doing those things for God without the heart, with the heart of it because we're trying to earn our salvation. We feel like if I just do one more thing or serve in one more area or, or when they ask me, I'll do that, then maybe that'll make me closer to God. We're trying to pull from the wrong source. So either way, whatever it is for you, Jesus is saying we need to repent. Here's the next thing He says, we need to repeat. We need to do the things we did at first. We need to repeat our first priorities. He says repent and then do the things you did at first. Now, let's go back to our married couple example, okay? If we got a married couple and the first love's not the way it used to be, then we recognize there's a problem in the relationship. We repent and say, I'm sorry, and then that that's not enough, right? There needs to be some action. And so that's when you repeat first priorities. You go back to those things that you used to do that got your heart beating fast. You go back to those things that you did that, that 
made that connectivity in your relationship. You leave a note. You send a text. You send flowers. You go on a date. You take a weekend. You give those touches, men, that don't have any other priorities but just to touch your wife and let her know that you're there and you care for her. You reach out in a way so that you try to get the fires burning again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Any people who've been married a long time know that you've had to do this many times in your relationship. Wow, y'all are so quiet today. What in the world? Well, it's true. If you've been married for five, ten years, if you stay married and it's a good marriage, then you have to keep stoking those fires. It's the same in our relationship with Jesus. If we're going to regain that first love after we repent, then we've got to go back and do some first things. Jesus says, go do the first things again. And what does that look like? Well, it means that you've got to, just like to connect with your spouse again, you've got to start spending time with them again, right? And sometimes it's just as simple as putting yourself in a position to start spending time with Jesus again. Maybe you're cold and lukewarm and spiritually indifferent because it's been a long time since you and Jesus had a cup of coffee or when you're fasting, a glass of water. And you pull up and you start spending time and you read His Word and you make, listen, 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 you begin to make the things of God and the house of God and the service of God a top shelf priority in your life once again. And there is really nothing that accelerates the pace of intimacy with God like what we're doing right now, and that's fasting. Even miserable without bread and sugar, brother, even without the sugar and the donuts and the coffee, something about that, putting things aside, it accelerates the process of me getting closer to God. I'm doing some first things over again. Now remember, Jesus is speaking to a church in this situation and I want you to see what he says in that last sentence look at the screen it says if you do not repent there are some consequences I will come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place now I was studying that on Friday in the office and I'm looking at that and I'm thinking now what does that mean lampstand think I kinda might know but what does that mean to He's going to come and remove the lampstand. And let's, let's remember, he's talking to a church here. And what he's saying is if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand and the church is going to cease to exist. In his exposition of the Bible, John Gill says this about this. He says, it could be that in these moments, removing the lampstand means that God allows a shaking or an unsettling of the church. Maybe sometimes God allows violent persecutions and false teachers and doctrines to come into the church. Can I submit to you that in the American church, what happens the way the lampstand is removed is that God allows there to be divisions and contentions, as Gill says, among the saints. And it's those divisions and contentions that snuffs out the lampstand. See, God is only going to put up with a loveless church for so long. 
Well, Pastor Les, I don't drive down the road in, in the county and, and, uh, and, and from city to city and see a bunch of churches with, with closed signs over the door and caution tape. No, you won't see that. But here's what you will see and experience if you visited some of those churches. That removing the lampstand may not mean that the property's not there. And it may not be that people aren't in the building. And it may not be that people aren't serving or tithing. But what it does mean, church, is that God says removing the lampstands means I will remove my presence from the house. And I want to tell you, if His presence is not in the house, you should stay home in your pajamas and eat your frosted plates. Because this is the place where we need to be to experience His manifest presence. And if we are not a church who is pursuing first love for Him and for each other, and I'm not preaching about the each other apart a lot this morning because we, we're doing pretty good with that here right now. We're in a good season of loving each other. But can I caution us? And I've said this to you before over the last year and a half that at all cost, Rinkin Church of God, at all cost, every person who walks in these doors, every one of you, you have a responsibility to guard and protect the unity that God has placed in the house at this season and at this time. Because the devil would love nothing more than destroy what God is doing in our church right now. And he will do it through disunity and divisions. And it will creep up in ways that we don't even expect. So what we've got to do is we've got to realize that we've got to put him first. We've got to seek that love that he has for us. And rekindle the first love in our lives with him so that we don't lose the lampstand. Jesus is saying, look, I commend you for your good works and your deeds and your perseverance. But listen to me, church. It's not good deeds that keep the lampstand burning. The candlestick wasn't lit by good works. It was lit by His good grace. We cannot be a city on a hill by good works alone. There are plenty of organizations who will outgive and outdo us if all love your city is about is about doing the next thing. However, we are a city on a hill, a light in the darkness, and the only way we stay resourced is through our love for Him. Jesus, the light of the world, the source of our love and our perseverance must be His love for us and our love for Him. So we must repent and then repeat those first priorities. And here's the last one. If you're going to return to our first love, once we, once we recognize our condition. And once we truly repent. And when we repeat those first priorities. We should ready ourselves to receive from God. We started the message a while ago with this parable. And you're probably thinking, okay, where in the world did that go? Okay, you, you gave us that, that Matthew 9. They sang that beautiful song. and Are you just ignoring it? Now, here we go. We're, we're coming back. We're going to land right here on the new wine. Now, listen. I want to read it again. In Matthew chapter 9, John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus. 
And they asked him a question. And they say, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often and your disciples don't fast? And Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wine skins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins, and both are preserved. Now let me tell you what that means. John the Baptist's disciples are coming to Jesus. They're asking him a question. And it's very likely that the reason why John the Baptist was not with them was because he was in prison at this time. If you follow the discourse of Matthew, he's probably in jail. And I want you to notice who they showed up with. Did anybody know who came with them? The Pharisees came with them. So, listen, without a leader... Without a leader, John the Baptist's disciples get on the other side of a question to Jesus with the Pharisees. Some scholars even speculate that maybe the Pharisees put them up to the question. And they kind of, because this was early in Jesus' ministry, and maybe they pushed John the Baptist's disciples out there to ask Jesus the question. And so they walk in and they say, Well, Jesus, how is it that You know, we, John disciples and the Pharisees, fast often, but your disciples don't fast. Now notice something here, okay? Notice they're a little boastful about their fasting. Anybody hear that with me? How how often do they say they fast? Often. We fast often. We fast a lot. Apparently, (laughs) they were absent on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talked about Fasting. Anybody remember that from two weeks ago where he said, comb your hair and uh, brush your teeth and put nice clothes on and don't, don't broadcast that you're fasting. Apparently they were absent from that sermon and didn't catch the, the follow-up on the podcast. Okay, So they missed that whole sermon. And not only are they talking about that, they, they're actually even bragging a little bit about their fasting. How arrogant of them. Well... How is it that we are fasting, and we fast often, but your disciples are not fasting at all? How arrogant and boastful of John the Baptist's disciples. You know they were influenced by those dirty, rotten scoundrels, the Pharisees, to say something like that. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus answers, as I said a while ago, their question with a question, and he uses an illustration They actually really, they're probably thinking, where are you going with this? Which is what y'all are saying. Where are you going with this? And Jesus says, okay, look, let's say there's a wedding, okay? The guest at the wedding would not fast because it's a time of celebration. You don't show up to a wedding and not eat the cake and the punch and all the food that's there and just sit over there in the corner like this. No, because it's a celebration. It's a time of happiness. And Jesus refers to himself when he says, the bridegroom, guests of the bridegroom. And that's an example we see later in Scripture where Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom and you're the bride. But he's saying, look, it doesn't make sense for my disciples to fast because I have brought a party to earth. I have brought the kingdom of heaven to earth and there's no sense in fasting because we're having a party these three years while I'm here. Jesus is in the house. 
I said, who's in the house? Hey, there's, there's my Carmen people. Yeah. Jesus is in the house. And so he's saying, hey, guys, it doesn't make sense. There's no sense for them to, part, for, for them to fast now, Jesus says. But there will come a time as he looks ahead to when he is going to go back to heaven. There will come a time when I will be gone and my abiding presence will not be with them. And they will need to fast because they're going to face persecutions and difficulties like they can't even imagine right now. They, hey, rest assured, Pharisees and John's disciples, these boys will be fasting. And then he, then he starts talking about clothes. Huh? What, what, how, how does that have to do with anything? And he says, okay, no one, I mean, out of, out of nowhere, we're, we're talking about fasting, and then we're talking about a wedding. And then all of a sudden he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away, making the tear even worse. So all of a sudden, in this question, Jesus decided to give a sewing lesson. He says, okay, it doesn't make sense if you go to the closet. Just say you got your favorite shirt. Anybody had a shirt or a pair of jeans that's your favorite? It gets a tear in it. But you're not ready to hang it up yet, okay? You're ready to, for it to have more life. So you pull it out. It's got a tear. You go down to Walmart or wherever you find a piece of fabric that fits. And it's going to match that tear. And when you go in and you begin to sew, Jesus says you don't take a brand new piece of, of, of garment and you don't patch an old garment with a brand new piece. Because when the brand new piece attaches to the garment, that hole, that patch you're making, that brand new piece is going to get wet. And in the wash, it's going to shrink. And then the tear where you attached it is going to get worse because the patch shrinks. Everybody with me? Say, I get it, Jesus. All right, Jesus, I get that. Still don't know what that's got to do with anything. And then he says, well, let's talk a little bit about wine. What? And he says, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, in Jesus' day, people drank wine like we drink sweet tea. That was the drink of the day. And unlike modern barrels, ancient vintners would store their wine in tanned animal hides. And a lot of times it was made from goat hide. So they would take a goat's hide and they would, they would craft it so that it could hold that liquid, that, that, uh, that wine. And if you know anything about how wine is produced, as wine is produced, it goes through a fermentation process. And wine is active as it goes through that process. It's, it's moving and it's active and something's going on. And so the wine itself inside of whatever you put it in starts to expand. So they would take goat skins and they would take a new goat skin and, and put it in the shape of what could be a, a bottle or a, a, called a wine skin. They put new wine in it and the new wine in the new wine skin was in good shape because as that wine fermented and became whatever it was going to be to drink, eventually it would move and it had a place to move because its shell would move with it. Does that make sense? But after a while, if you keep using that, eventually that skin is going to dry up. 
it's going to get coarse and inflexible and even brittle. So if you go and you get some more new wine that hasn't gone through the fermentation process, you pour it in an old wine skin, it changes the wine as the wine goes in that old bottle. That wine still has got to go through that process. There's no room for expansion, so the skin will burst. And now we've lost an old wine skin that could be useful and new wine. Now understand this. Jesus' parable was not about sowing and winemaking. Each object is a, a, it represented something he was trying to teach. Now remember the original question is about fasting. And remember who asked it. John the Baptist with who in tow? The Pharisees, okay? The old garment, let's go back to the clothes. The old garment represented the Pharisees' view. The old religious practices. Living by the old law. That's what the old garment represented. The new garment represented Jesus' new doctrines of grace and humility and servanthood and sacrifice. And Jesus is saying these two belief systems are in contrast. They cannot coexist. They will tear each other apart. You can't have the old and the new together. It will rip each other apart. That's what he's using with that illustration. Then he starts talking about the wine. The old wineskins represented the law of the Old Testament plus all of the laws and the extra junk that the Pharisees had added to it. In other words, the current religious system of the day was what the old wineskins represented. But the new wine... Now listen, before we talk about the new wineskins you got to get this. Jesus starts talking about new wine. And the new wine Jesus is talking about is Jesus' new message of righteousness and an expanding, growing, vibrant, active, alive kingdom of God. So he says, all right, that old way with the old rules and all the stuff you've added to it, that's not going to work. I've come with a new way, with new grace, with a new plan, with a new purpose. And he says, we're going to put all of that into new wineskins. Now here's where it gets real good. Because guess what the new wineskins are? That is you and that's me. You're a new wineskin when you come in contact with Jesus and receive Him into your life. Behold, the old is gone, the Scripture says, and the new has come. And you become a new wineskin that can receive the things of God. The new wineskin represents that new person. And Jesus knew it also represented what He would give to every person through His subsequent death, burial, and resurrection. See, old wineskins are hardened and inflexible because they come, become brittle. They can't contain any new wine. But new wineskins are soft and fresh and flexible and pliable. And Jesus knew that many of His listeners, they believed that the old wineskin, the old way of doing things was good enough. Listen to this sentence. They were comfortable right where they were. They were comfortable with their old beliefs and their old practices and the way of doing church and the way of getting to God. But Jesus had not come to patch up 
old religious traditions. Jesus was offering a new garment, a new wineskin, a new way of life did not, that did not abolish the old, but fulfilled the new in His presence. So let's put it all together. What does it mean for us? Our first word of the day is first love. And so this message is all about reclaiming that first love. And so let me tell you something. I want to give you a guarantee this morning. Church, listen to me. If you're in a place where you say, I've been in this place where I'm just, I don't have the passion that I once had for Him. And I hear you talking about it. And I, I realize I've got to get back there to reclaim that first love. You recognize you got a problem. We've talked about that. You repent for moving away from Him. You begin to repeat those first priorities. And can I tell you that what we're doing right now in 21 days of fasting and prayer, you're already smack dab in the middle of practicing some things that are putting you in a position for something that God wants you to do. And let me hit the pause button right here. If you're not on board yet and you've not fasted and prayed and you're, not, you're just showing up today and you're not a part of what we're doing, start tomorrow morning. The best time to start a new habit is when? Today or tomorrow. Go eat a cheeseburger and start in the morning. But don't miss what's going on. Don't miss the opportunity of something that God has for you. Because when we do those things, this is what happens. I'm almost done. We do what I said a while ago. We can ready ourselves to receive. Let me tell you what you're doing as you're fasting and as you're praying and you're pushing aside the bread and you're pushing aside the sugars and you're pushing aside the coffee and the meat. Whatever it is you've decided, the caffeine, you are positioning yourself to receive. To receive what, Pastor? To receive new wine. Because there is a correlation between our first love and receiving new wine. Remember what we said a while ago about our relationship. My relationship with my spouse to make things right. I've got to recognize that things are not the way they used to be. And I've got to say I'm sorry and repent. And I've got to repeat some things. And you know what? When I do that, when, when our relationship gets that to that place and we begin to do some of those things, again, you know what happens? A fresh energy, a new life, a new rhythm to our relationship happens and things start getting hot and bothered again. Oh, yes, things start cooking again because we're making those connections again. And new wine for us represents what happens when we experience the first love of Jesus again. It represents that the Holy Spirit wants to bring new life and renewal and refreshing and bring a new rhythm to life. Anybody say, I want a new rhythm to my life. I mean, it's good, it's okay, but I want something more and greater. And as you recognize and repent and repeat through these 21 days of fasting and prayer, here's what you're doing. You're getting rid of the old wineskin, the old you, and you are preparing a new wineskin, a new you that puts you in a position where Jesus can fill you with fresh oil and with fresh anointing and with fresh experience. So His Holy Spirit is living on the inside of you. But you can't get there if you are spiritually comfortable or spiritually indifferent. 
Let me tell you something. I, I struggled with this message a little bit over the last couple of days. I had some conversations with some people in our church. I know of some things that are going on in people's lives and some big decisions and just, just life things that are happening in people's life. And I struggle thinking, is this, is this message even relevant to somebody who comes in and feels like they're pulled in so many different directions because there's stuff that's going on in their life? How can this be relevant to them? And as I'm, as I'm preaching right now, it's like the Holy Spirit is saying to me to say to you, it is very relevant. If you put first things first, if it's your marriage or if it's your finances or if it's your job or whatever it is in your life, it's decisions you've got to make. When you put Him at the front of the line, when you get back in love with Jesus, I can guarantee you that everything else is going to fall in place as you begin to put Him first. I've seen it work. It works. But if we're comfortable where we're at and we don't want any more than what we've got, can I remind you of what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus? I will remove the lampstand from the house. Nobody takes old wine and puts it into new wine and puts it into old wine skins. If you want new wine, you got to have new wine skins. And the reason why is because that wine, when it's in those new wine skins, it's still fermenting. It's still moving. It's still active. And listen to me, church. If you want the activity of the Holy Spirit alive in you in a new way, if you don't want to go off the old wine of last year, if you want some new wine this year, then you've got to give Him new skin. And you've got to say, I'm going to deny the flesh I'm going to deal with this skin and I'm going to present to him a new sacrifice which is my body so that he can pour new wine in for a new year. And some of those things that you're going through today, Kevin, if you'll come and begin to play, some of those things that you're going through, I want to tell you something. There's a, something that happens in the process of making wine. A lot of you already know this. Even if you don't know a lot about making wine, it's going to make sense. When they take those grapes off the vine, they put them in a vat or they put them in a place and they, they used to do it by people walking on them, right? People would step on the, wine, on the grapes to create the wine. Now they've got machines that do it. But the point in that process is that sometimes there is a, listen, a crushing Sometimes there's a pressing. You don't get the wine in the bottle that refreshes the body by just taking some grapes off and just squirting the juice into a bottle until. No, there's a process. There's a crushing. There's a pressing. And can I submit that maybe, maybe just today, Whatever's going on in your life or what's been going on in your life. I'm talking to some people right now. If you're watching right now, I'm talking to somebody who's watching this right now on live stream or is going to listen later this week. You're going through a crushing and a pressing. 
And that crushing and that pressing is not just for the crushing and pressing sake. It's so in that process he can create something new and fresh in you. Something that's not been there before. He can resurrect a dead love, a dry place in him and make you alive in him again so that you're filled with new wineskin and you're a new wine in a new wineskin. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? In the crushing, they sang it a while ago, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil, I surrender. You're breaking new ground. So, the song says, I surrender my will to you. And then, what does he say? Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. Is there anybody here besides me who would say, I recognize there needs to be a, some new wine in my spirit. I recognize today that I'm, I'm not in love with Jesus like I've been before. Anybody here today say, I, I need to repent of putting some things before Him. I've got some priorities out of whack and I've put some things before Him. And that's why I'm here dry and brittle and broken today. Anybody here want to say, make me a vessel. Make me an object that you can fill with new wine, fresh, reviving, something that can fill me on the inside. Let's stand together this morning. Worship team, if you would, come this morning. In the pressing, you are making new wine. Come on, let's sing it together today. In the seeking new ground, so I yield to you and to your love. Give it all to you, Lord. When I trust you, I this morning we're going to pray together I believe in all my heart the Lord's brought us to this point because he wants to bring some refreshing in this room right now don't be in a hurry right now in this moment we're going to pray we're going to pray through what we've what I've preached this morning if you recognize today how far you've fallen that you're not where 
you used to be. And you, I'm not saying you're not a Christian anymore. But you, you're not where you used to be in that first love. Right now, as we begin to pray all over this room, say that to Him right now. I can't pray that prayer for you. You must pray it for you. If the Lord's been speaking to you this morning, just pray, Lord, I recognize today that I've lost my first love. I'm not as in love with you as I used to be, and I recognize that today. Jesus said, consider how far you've fallen. And then he said, repent. So let's pray together right now. Lord, forgive me. I repent for not making you a priority. Lord, I repent for making other things, even good things, take precedent in my life. Lord, I repent for running after things that don't fill me up the way you do. Lord, I'm a sorry. I confess my sin today, Lord. I repent for not pursuing you the way I should. I, pers- I, for- I repent for a- allowing the work that I do for you today, Lord, to be more important than my heart for you. Anybody need to repent right now? Just begin to talk to Him. Any area in your life where the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you today, put something in front of Him. Something else has been more important. Consider how far you've fallen, Jesus says. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you are in, if you right now are participating in 21 days of fasting and prayer, you're already there. You're in the process. Don't stop when you're tired. Stop when you're done. Stay in it. Stay in it. Begin to pray right now, Lord, help me to return to your word and return to worship and return to your house and return to service and return to the things fasting and prayer and seeking you help me to return to those things that put you a higher priority than me repeat those first priorities and when you do those things you can ready yourself to receive new wine Lord, right now all over this place, I'm going to pray this prayer and then we're going to sing this song. And Lord, I pray that right now, I ask you, Holy Spirit, for every open and willing person today who would say, I am not, I refuse to be comfortable where I am. I refuse lukewarmness. I refuse to be in the place where I am spiritually. I want new wine. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill this place right now as we begin to cry out to you and to sing this song. And I pray you'll just begin to pour new wine into new wineskins right now as we have stepped through those things to put us in a position today for first love, for a first love encounter. In the name of Jesus, I pray. As they sing this song, there is no way everybody in the room can get down here. But if you want to get down here as an object to say, Lord, I'm coming, make me a vessel. Make me a place that you can feel. One, two, three, go. If you say, I need new wine, 
I need a new infilling right now. Begin to move with your hands up raised. Lord, make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Something fresh, something new. Begin to cry that out to him all over this place today. Oh, I came here with nothing. Oh, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring you wine. Oh, come on, come on. Oh, say it. Jesus, bring a new wine. challenge you to do something this morning all over this place if you're here or you're there and you say I want to be a candidate for new wine for whatever fresh things that God has for me in 2019 the old year's gone I need something fresh in my walk with Christ in my home in my marriage in my job in my finances in my life I want to be a new wine skin now we talked about this a few months ago, I believe, in our series on worship. 
that one of we talked about what it means to lift our hands but one of the things we said that morning is that when I lift my hands what I'm doing is I'm creating what looks like a funnel and if you think about it it's kind of the shape of a what of a wine bottle that think about that long wine bottle that long wine skin some of you you need to get out of your comfort zone right here and not worry about what somebody else thinks or how I'm going to look but the word of God talks about lifting our hands and one of the ways that one of the reasons why we lift our hands is it's it's, it's a sign of surrender and if a if a if a gunman walks through that back door right now he would say put your hands up so that everybody in the room he sees their hands and some of y'all are carrying it here this morning and so he'd want to know that you're not going to go for your for your concealed weapon right he wants to see your hands can i tell you that to be refilled and replenished with new wine sometimes god needs to see our hands we need to get our hands out of our pockets and crossed and comfortable and get here and say, Lord, make me a vessel. Make me all you. Why are y'all's hands still down? My goodness, I'm preaching better than you're responding. Does anybody want? I've preached my guts out this morning. Does anybody want what I'm talking about today? Fresh oil, fresh wine, a fresh experience. Oh, call out for it today in the name of Jesus. Lord, fill us today. Where there's new wine, there's new power, new anointing, a fresh overflowing of your oil and your spirit and your grace and your mercy today. God, we want less of us and more of you. God, fill us today. Make us an offering. Make us a vessel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sing the bridge. Oh, hallelujah. Open yourself up today. Oh, fill us today, Jesus. Oh, I came with nothing. Jesus, bring you wine.
right, that's your prayer today, church. I told you the first week of this series, I said to you these words, I said things are good, the church is strong, people are coming, giving's good, people are volunteering, ministries are strong, I am not satisfied. I'm not satisfied where we're at. God didn't call me back here four and a half years ago to get to this spot and stop. God has greater and bigger things for us. And that's why I'm intense. That's why I'm pushing this morning. It's because this word is in, is in my heart. I'm trying to get it into you today. And here's what I want to say. I'm, I am done. I've said everything and almost out of voice. So I'm almost done. But here's what I want to say to you this week. When we go into these last seven days of fasting and prayer. What, what, he, what we're singing about in this line where he says, in the soil, we're breaking new ground. And it's work. It's not easy to fast what we're doing, right? It's not because we're doing what I said a while ago. We're, we are, we're putting the flesh. We're, we're trying to, to crucify the flesh, right? And I know we've got our prayer points for this next week. And I want you to continue to pray those. But every day... Add to the prayer list. Lord, I pray you will return me to my first love and I pray you'll fill me with new wine. I pray you'll return everybody in our church family to their first love and fill us with new wine. I'm not interested in being a comfortable church or an apathetic church if we are filled with the living, breathing kingdom of God, then it is active and it is alive and it should get out of us and on to somebody else. So Lord, make me a vessel and fill me up. And this week as you go and you fast seven more days, and you pray seven more days. Lord, that's our prayer as we walk out of this room. I pray for every person in this room, every person who's watching, every person who will listen this week. God, I pray for first love experience, that our first love for you, our passion, Lord, for you would return like never before. And as that happens, Lord, that you will ready us to receive new wine in the name of Jesus, may it happen. Somebody say amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for your worship today. Thank you for being here. Youth movement students, don't forget you've got a meeting right down here up front with Pastor Kevin. We hope to see you back Wednesday night for Family Ministries Night. God bless you.
I'd like to see you with us for the first five or ten minutes. Former youth that have been here, please stay. I need your help. Just five minutes. All the former youth, all the former youth board members, anybody, former parents, please give me five minutes. Thank you. It tells my heart to shoot. Turn back around, but there's no turning back now. I'm going. 